Welcome to another episode of the Amford Church Sermon Podcast. We're thrilled that you're taking the time to listen to what we have to say about God, the world, and you. These sermons are recorded live during our weekly Sunday morning services. To find out more about us or to plan a visit to join us, check out our website, amfordchurch.com. Again, thanks for listening and enjoy. A few weeks ago, I attended a a leadership conference in London held at the Albert Hall. It was my second leadership conference at this great venue, um, and I was there with my daughter, Shoned. I have great memories of both events, and some of the things learned I'm still implementing, and the challenges made I'm still applying. Talks given still come back to my mind for me to ruminate on great memories, but there is one memory from a year ago, a rather random memory really, uh, that I'm going to share with you. I I was sat on the steps in front of the Albert Memorial facing the Albert Hall on a a glorious sunny day, uh, probably waiting for either Angharad or Shoned or both. There were people milling around everywhere. They were taking pictures of the memorial and just being tourists in the main. And then I spotted an elderly Indian couple dressed in their national dress, walking towards the memorial, and uh, they were talking non-stop in a lovely language that I didn't understand a word of until... Now, as I can't speak any of the beautiful languages they have in India... I'm going to have to explain what I heard and understood like this to you. Imagine the couple, probably in their 70s, walking towards me going, talk, 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 yap, 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 talk, 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 selfie, talk, 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 yap, 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 talk. (laughs) And they stopped, held a smartphone in the air and took a selfie of themselves. Isn't it amazing how the word selfie has crept into our vocab? and even crossed language barriers and boundaries. Selfie became the word of the year, according to the Oxford Dictionary in 2013. Now, the Australians are claiming that they invented the word back in 2002, when someone who had drunk too much at a party landed on his lip and took a photo And this is what he wrote. He said, I had a hole about one centimeter long right through my bottom lip. Sorry about the focus. It was a selfie. So that may be the first use of the word in that context. Whether this was the first actual use of the word, I'm not sure. But but I wouldn't want to pick a fight with the Australians over it, especially as they like to dispute the origins of things as demonstrated in a, in a public tiff or an argument they've got with New Zealand at the moment over who invented the word, uh, the, the coffee drink, flat white. Anyway, we all know what a salt selfie is. But how aware are we of the dangers of taking a selfie? Let me read the recent headline to you. It said, selfie deaths are now epidemic. 
and listed in this article are, are examples like this. The student who fell 700 feet at Ireland's iconic cliffs of Moher in January. The 68-year-old woman who was fatally scalded in a Chilean geyser. The man in his 50s who was struck by lightning while hiking with a selfie pole in the Welsh mountains. And the teenage girl swept away by an unexpected wave on a beach in the Philippines. Wow. Aren't you glad you came this morning to learn about selfies? Now, no, three or four years ago, I remember standing on this stage and using the word selfie to explain a biblical truth. And this is what I said. If God took a selfie, the picture on his phone would be Jesus. If God took a selfie, the picture on his phone would be Jesus. When I was pondering this thought during the week, I, I, I realized that the reverse was also true. It hadn't dawned on me the first time I thought of it. Um, but it might be true, but it's less easy to visualize. If Jesus took a selfie, then the picture on his phone would be God. It's, it's hard, isn't it, to visualize the God that we are learning about who is galactic, the God who is everywhere, the God uh, who is all-knowing, fitting into a phone screen. But, but that is how God in Jesus is described in the Bible. Uh, which is our authority in, in these things. Let me give you some quick examples. We read uh, Paul writing this. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's in Colossians. And, and again, just a few verses on in Colossians, we read, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. Can you see the enormity of what Paul is saying here? Make a note to check Colossians chapter 1 later on or when you get a chance. But, but there's more. Listen, listen to how the author of the, the, the book that we've labeled Hebrews says. It's written there right at the beginning. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. And listen, and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Now, the, the, the message version says it like this. This son perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature. And those of you, and there are um, these normally in Christian congregations who are like the J.B. Phillips translation, this is how he put it. Jesus was the flawless expression of the nature of God. Can you see the enormity of what is being stated here? Jesus is a full, final, and flawless expression of God. But there's more. Listen to the words of Jesus himself. In a discussion with some of his closest followers, he turns and he tells Philip, or speaks these words to Philip. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. What the Bible does infallibly is take us on a journey that culminates with Christ. And it is Christ who fully reveals God. God is like Jesus. Jesus is the message of God. Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus is the full and faithful witness to how God is to be understood. Jesus came to reveal God as Savior. Jesus came to reveal God as Reconciler. And as we will see today... Jesus came to reveal God as compassionate. Aren't you glad you came this morning?
maybe to learn this truth for the first time. Maybe to remind it of this truth you'd forgotten about. Or maybe to see afresh the enormity of imagining Jesus as the picture on the phone God, God used to take a selfie. But the image I want to have implanted in our minds this morning when we hear the word selfie or when we take a selfie is not a picture of an elderly Indian couple taking a selfie. Cute though that is. Nor do I, I want it to be an image of a, a drunk Australian guy with a one centimetre gash in his bottom lip, interesting as though that is. I, I may want us to remember a teenage girl swept away by an unexpected wave while taking a selfie, just in case we find ourselves tempted to take a selfie in a dangerous place. No, what I want is that we remember the thought that if God took a selfie, the picture on his phone would be Jesus. So we're going to take a walk with this Jesus who perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature. This Jesus who is the image of the invisible God as he walks the dusty roads of Palestine. When you consider that the Gospels are a short record of a short life, do you know, I was spoiled for choice for examples of compassion. So I've been very deliberate and selective this morning um, in what I've chosen on what will be a whistle-stop tour. So those of you who are normally tempted to have a little snooze around now, we're going on a quick tour of Palestine, <laughs> okay? But just before, just before we step into this time machine and going back 2,000 years, I as a question for you. Anybody know what the origin or the original meaning of the word compassion is in New Testament Greek? You know, the, the word, word was so, so big and so even more complicated than Welsh looks. You know, so I'm not going to tell you what the word is in Greek, okay? Um, but this is what it means. To be moved in one's bowels. The ancients saw the bowel or bowels as the seat of human emotion. Which is why in the authorized version, or the King James Version uh, of the Bible, you will find the word bowel used. Let me give you some examples. In Colossians, um, uh, Paul wrote, well, yeah, this is how, what Paul said has been translated. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. I was translated now in the NIV, therefore, as God's chosen people. Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, not with entrails, <laughs> clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. When Paul wrote to the Philippians, he said something which does sound really bizarre um, you know, in this particular context. He said, for God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Now, what he means is this. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection, in the NIV, of Christ Jesus. You see, because that, that was a source of affection, a source of so much. Okay? That's the origin or the background to the word um, 
compassion. And one more from Philippians. He says, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. In NIV, he says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. So here we go. Speed it all. First stop, Luke chapter 7. And this is what we read. That Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples, and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And this is what we read. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Now, the King James Version is great on this one as well. Okay, so, and it says, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, weep not. You see, Jesus was moved deeply and showed compassion when there was, and it's worth writing this down, sorrow and sadness. Moving on, Matthew chapter 15. We read that Jesus went along the Sea of Galilee and then he went up on the mountainside and sat down. And great crowds again came to him, bringing the lame. The, I want you to picture this. Sat on the mountain and the people who are being brought to him are the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And laid them at his feet and he healed them. And this is what we read. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. Jesus was moved deeply and showed compassion when we saw, and this is worth writing down, the struggling and the sick. In the same passage... I think it's probably the next verse. I've taken the verse numbers out of my scripture. Jesus called his disciples to the, uh, and said, I have compassion for these people. Why? They have already been with me three days and have had nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. So you can see Jesus is moved again. When he sees the plight of these people, and this is how I've described this, Jesus was moved deeply and showed compassion when he knew they were starving and shattered. So let's back to an earlier incident. In other words, in Luke chapter 5, we read this. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face on the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. We read and immediately the leprosy fell, left him. You see, Jesus was moved deeply and showed compassion when he encountered the sidelined and the shunned. Our last stop, and where we will spend most of our time, is in Matthew chapter 9. Famous passage. 
We read this, that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed, or some of you would prefer harassed, so I'll do the both, harassed or harassed, and helpless, like sheep without the shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, said Jesus, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus was moved deeply and showed compassion when he saw the scattered and shepherdless. Hey, aren't you glad you came this morning to observe how Jesus modeled compassion? So what? There's always a so what in this series. I don't know whether you've noticed. So what? Well, the answer to the so what is what I call the principle of reciprocity. Okay? Does that satisfy you this morning? No? I'm not going to explain it, but I'm going to give you an example of what I mean. Love, mercy, forgiveness, compassion. We experience them, uh, we experience them from our Heavenly Father on a daily basis. We would all be lost without them. If, um, should our Heavenly Father withdraw any of them from us, we would have no hope. Reciprocity means that we are also expected to show these same divine qualities towards others. Let me fill this in for you. Because we have proven the love of God, we are now to show that love to others by our actions. Because we have proven, oh sorry, because we wake up every morning to new mercies, we are to show mercy to others every day by our actions. Because we know the freedom forgiveness brings, we are to forgive others. And because we experience God's compassion, we are to show compassion to others by your actions. Now, there are so many applications or responses to understanding that God is compassionate that I could share with you this morning, and it would probably take all morning. So, I decided to ditch all that I had in mind to say on this and instead suggest a small challenge in the hope that everyone who is able will take up the challenge. Now, for possibly 30 years or more, I'm not sure, a small gathering of people turn up in a car park on a mountain overlooking Ammonford, the Ammon Valley and the wider area. This event takes place on Easter Sunday morning to celebrate the day we have in our calendar to remember 
that the Jesus who died on the cross to reconcile us to God has risen from the dead. When we're up there, we look at a huge crowd, but not all gathered together in one place. We can't see them eye to eye. We can't eyeball them. Behind each door that we are looking at, in every waking household, we know we are looking at a picture painted by Jesus of a harassed, helpless, and leaderless crowd. People Jesus had compassion over. He was, he was moved in his inner being over those people. The sad and the sorrowing, the struggling and the sick, the starving and the shamed, the sidelined and shunned, the scattered and shepherdless. We are standing up there as people of hope who know God's mercy, his love, and his forgiveness, and we pray that others might know this too. So the challenge this morning is that when we organize another such morning in the summer, as many as possible of us go up to the mountain, elderly, single, married, families, young people, everyone, go up as a community of Christ followers, and that we look at our town and district in a way that Jesus would be looking if he was standing in that car park. It, it would be wonderful, would it not, if a crowd of 50 turned up? I can't see a reason why a crowd of 100 can't turn up. Wouldn't that be wonderful? A hundred or more looking with compassion, having our inner beings stirred within us and an opportunity to pray for an area we're looking at. Now, as I thought of this, and most of you know it's dangerous when I begin to think, but anyway, let's, let's move on, okay? Uh, now, as I thought of this and imagined it in my mind, I started thinking about what should we be praying so there we are, looking at Armford, looking at the people that I've described. What should we be praying? I, I hoped in my thinking that we wouldn't be up there praying for our minor ailments and the aches and pains that inconvenience, inconvenience us, as we often do in our prayer meetings. Many of you know my opinion on this, and I'm happy to share it with you later, but I'm not going public on it. I have, a, I, have a, I have a real concern about how selfish my prayers can be and our prayers are. Look at this example from a recent Facebook post. The person is very well-meaning. I'm not questioning anything. Well-meaning and very sincere. But, but, but really, I, I was wondering, should this be a prayer request? Let me read it. Another prayer request. So there had been one previously. Okay. Another prayer request. My cold is getting better, but since I've been ill for over two weeks, I've developed a possible sinus infection. I've noticed a trend of them if I'm ill for a prolonged period of time. I can usually get rid of them with X and Y, but rather stupidly of me, I didn't pack my Y, so I've bought some X and um, 
I really don't want to go to the doctor while I'm here on this, in this holiday resort, if I can avoid it. Please pray that I'll recover, that my usual methods will work, despite not having everything I usually use, and that I'll be guided in what I should do. Thank you. And this was posted alongside a picture of somebody floating in a pool and the blue skies. And I think to myself, no, I nothing there for me to pray about, sorry. Anyway, so I hope that that's not the kind of praying that we end up doing on top of the mountain when we're looking at the, at the harassed and helpless and leaderless of Armour of God. So we're on the mountain, looking with compassion on our town and district. What should we be praying? Should we be praying what Jesus asked his disciples who were with him to pray? Let me read you a version, another version of that passage, because um, uh, I think it might be helpful. Then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places, reported kingdom news, healed their diseased bodies, healed their bruised and hurt lives. When he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. And he says, what a huge harvest, he said to his disciples. How few workers on your knees and pray for harvest hands. Now, I'm going to pause for 15 seconds for you to think about this next question, okay? And so if you're asleep, just, wake up, just listen to this question, okay? Well, um, should we be praying for har- when we're on the mountain for harvest hands or, in the other version, workers to go and harvest. Question is, should we be praying for harvest hands or, in the other version, workers to go and harvest? You've got 15 seconds. Sometimes 15 seconds is so short. And sometimes 15 seconds is a long time. That probably felt like a long time. Now, I was sitting with Angharad pondering these things in the sun one evening when suddenly a thought came to me, and I remember saying out loud, Oh, I think I've had an insight. Better go and check something. Again, this is dangerous stuff. I'm, you know, those of you who know me, this is, I can't remember ever having said anything like that before. Or noticing anything like that before, but then I did go in and I did check and I did start pondering. As I look, look at the town and district, and I'll explain that in a second. As I look at the town and district of the sad and sorrowing, the struggling and the sick, the starving and the shamed, the sidelined and the shunned, the scattered and the shepherdless, I am one of the workers in that harvest. These are the harvest hands prayed for by the disciples. Was I an answer to the prayers of the disciples in 20, wherever we are now, 19? So on the mountain, my prayer should be, Lord, I'm one of your workers. I'm an answer to your disciples' prayer. Lord, I am one of the workers. Pointless me being on Meadows Mountain, looking at the crowd, saying, Lord, send workers. 
I pray, Lord of the harvest, when maybe there are a hundred of us in a car park? Doesn't make sense. Therefore, Lord, I'm one of the workers. Here I am. Show me how these harvest hands can be used to impact the patch you've placed me in. I, I actually imagine God, this is true, answering that prayer for some of us, not all of us, but he answered it like this. He said, I'd love to use you. But the busy, self-preoccupying, self-centered, frantic life you are living means you yourself are confused and aimless and helpless and losing hope with no direction in your life. Why don't you sort that out? And then maybe you can have compassion on the sad and sorrowing, the struggling and the sick. The starving and the shamed, the sidelined and the shunned, the scattered and the shepherdless. So how about it? <laughs> Are you up for a challenge of a trip up the mountain? And to be challenged by your loving, compassionate Heavenly Father as one of his workers with harvest hands looking at the harvest field. Aren't you glad you came this morning? Not only to learn about selfies, be reminded about God's full and final revelation in, in Jesus, and an opportunity. We, as a community of Christ, modelers of Christ, have in our own town and district to demonstrate that God is compassion. We hope that you found today's message useful and challenging and we want to take a moment to offer you some next steps that you can take right now. Why not get in touch with us via email at contact at amfordchurch.com if you have any follow-up questions or things that you'd like to discuss. If you want to know more about what's going on at Amford Church, make sure to like us on Facebook. And lastly, check out our YouTube channel for video teaching in addition to our sermon podcasts. Thanks for listening.